0: morning OCC. How are you doing today? Good. And how are you doing online? If you're joining us online, you're doing all right, say doing well. Hey, it's good to have you with us. Good to see so many faces here today. And we just got a question for you kick things off. If you were to win the lotto, what would you do with the money? If you were to win the lotto, what would you do with the money? Would you buy a new car, a new truck, buy some land, buy some other toys? Would you buy a new house, get a big mansion? Would you travel to some far-off exotic destination that you've never been able to go to, have some fun taking a trip? Would you pay off all your debt? Well, that one just does not sound nearly as much fun as the others, does it? Would you give some of the money away? Because that feels pretty good. What would you do with the money? And how much would the lotto need to be? How big would that lotto need to be for you to consider yourself rich? Because most of us, we think of being rich, we think in terms of having as much money as we need to do whatever we want. We can go where we want, we can buy what we want, we can do what we want, and we don't have any worry about it. But today, I want to offer you a different perspective on what it means to be rich. Now, we're starting a new series today called Making Change, and we're going to be talking about the changes that we each need to make individually in our own lives so that we can be agents of change in this world. And that means that we're going to be talking about some changes we need to make and how we handle our own finances. If you were with us for our previous series, you know that it got kind of heavy. We were talking about how to separate the hate from the church. So we were talking about hatred and division and politics. And, man, it was just a heavy season. It was a heavy series. And so we thought, man, we need to light things up a little bit. I know. Let's talk about money. So here we are. Now, oftentimes, when we start talking about money in the church, people get a little, you know, they just get a little uneasy about that. When the theme of money comes up at church, some people undergo a massive mind shift. People, some of whom normally crave the Bible, suddenly want to ignore parts of it. Some people who thought they had found a great church... Suddenly think maybe it's time to start shopping around again, looking around. Some people who thought that the pastor could be trusted begin to question his motives. What's this Fitz guy up to now talking about our money? But we gotta talk about money. We've got to do it. We've been conditioned to react negatively as soon as money comes up in church. But that's just not the right response. I see a few problems with that. After all. We are supposed to talk about the things that Jesus taught, that the church should teach what Jesus taught. And Jesus taught about money a lot. Out of 38 parables, 16 of them that Jesus taught focused on money. So Jesus is a really bad example of a preacher who avoids the topic of money. In fact, he would get in people's faces about it. Now, another problem I see with this is that if we avoid money themes in the church, it requires us ignoring much of the rest of the Bible. If we can somehow navigate through the life of Jesus without looking at that money and avoid the times that Jesus talked about money, how are we going to navigate the rest of the Bible? Because money is everywhere in the Bible. The Bible has 500 verses on prayer. It has 2,000 verses on money. Now, that does not mean that money is more important than prayer. That's not what it means. But it does mean that God understands us, and oftentimes our money might be the thing we're praying about. And oftentimes money is more important to us than prayer is, and we are really important to God. So God's going to talk about the things that are important to us because he wants to get to us because he loves us, and he wants to get us to focus on the things that are most important. So God will talk about what we're focused on, and that means God's going to talk about money. Now, another problem I see with avoiding money talk in the church is that if we do that, well, then we're just missing it because everyone knows that money is important. We all talk about money. We talk about money with our significant other. We talk about money with our kids. We talk about money with our bosses and our coworkers and how we don't have enough of it and how we'd like to have more of it. We fret about money. We worry about money. We try to make more money. We we hire financial planners and we buy budget apps and we look into money. Money is important to us and we want answers. We want to be better with our money. And so we look for answers on how to do that. So why is it that when it comes up in church, we suddenly think, oh, that's not the place for it. But God's the one who designed us. God created us. God knows what's best for us. So God's advice for us is the best advice for us. And all of us want to be blessed by God. We say, bless me, Lord. So if we want the blessing that comes from God, we need not to ignore the guidance that comes from God. If we want God to bless it, we need God to guide us and we need to lean into his guidance. A lot of people say, bless me, Lord, bless me, Lord. But then they go on and they live like financial atheists. And that's not a good way to do it. Friend, God has a financial goal for you and me financial goal for all of us. In 2 Corinthians 8, 7, God says, I want you to excel in this gracious act of giving. This gracious act of giving. God wants you to be a great giver. And you're never going to change God's mind on that. And if you were as wise as God, you would want that for yourself also. Now, I know some pastors who don't preach on money. Right about now, some of you are saying, I'd like to know those pastors who don't preach on money. Where are they? What church are they at? Can I check out that church? But I'm going to invite you to lean into this series, not run away from it. We could avoid talking about money here. I could take the same approach as some of those guys who won't talk about money. But if I do that, if I don't talk on this topic, I will be selling you short. Because God's word has something to offer us here. If we don't examine what God's word says to all of us about money, then many of us will never grow in the ways that only giving can make us grow. I'm going to say that for you again. If we ignore what God says about money, then we are going to miss out on the growth that God has for us and growth that can only be found through giving. So let's lean into this topic. Now, I'm not preaching on this because our church is hard up for money and we're in financial dire straits. We're not. We're actually doing all right. I am preaching on this topic because God calls all of us to be faithful with all that we have. And so if we surrender only certain areas of our life to God, if we only allow God to speak into certain parts of our life, then we're missing it. So we've got to allow God to have freedom and have free reign in all parts of our life, and that includes our finances. And honestly, if I don't teach on this part of the Bible, then it will negatively impact our church. If we don't teach on the whole counsel of God and everything God would have for us, then it will limit our ministry reach. If we don't talk about finances, then that means that some of our new initiatives are gonna be limited. What new church should we not plant in the coming year or two? What updates and upgrades that need to be made in our next gen area for our students and our kids and our children? What things won't happen in 21 if we don't talk about this? Which missionaries will need to come home from the field? Which missions will need to scale back? Which ministry will be unstaffed and lose momentum and lose traction? What things will not happen here? Which people would we designate as the ones who we don't have the resources to help find and follow Jesus? That's why this topic matters. And that's why we've got to talk about it. Now, I know some people are going to squirm. I know some people are going to complain. I'm ready for it. I expect to have a message or two in my inbox tomorrow, and that's okay, because we'll dialogue about it. And I know that some people will even run from this. But we will never, never avoid talking about the tough topics here at Oklahoma Christian Church, simply because they're tough for us to hear. In fact, my experience in ministry, and my experience in my own personal life, is that when the tough topics come, if I lean into it, if we lean into those topics... It's always better for us than if we resist and go the other way. We can avoid going to church for a series because we don't like what the preacher's talking about. But is that what God would want for us? Is that how God's going to grow us? Isn't it better to lean in, to listen in, and to try? And say, okay, God, what might you have for me in this season? What might want you, might, what might, what? I can't even speak, man. That's trouble. What might you want me to try and attempt differently in this season so I can grow closer to you? That is the best approach. So in this series, friends, I want you to hear my heart. That this series is way less about what God wants you to give. And this series is way more about what God wants to give to you. But here's the challenge, is that so often we are in this system of getting and clinging to things and we hold so tightly to the things of this world That with clenched fists, we can't receive the blessing that God wants us to receive. And so we got to learn how to let go of some things so we can learn to cling to the better things. To cling to the things of eternity. And so we're going to be exploring that over the next several weeks in this series. Looking at changing some perspectives today and changing priorities and changing our plans and changing our hearts. Which is really about change of purpose. So the series... Don't think of it about a series on finances or a series on generosity. It is, but it's so much more than that. It's way more a series about trust and faith and the kind of trust and faith that will bring you blessing, that will open you up to receive from God. So let's dig into it. Well, wouldn't it be a shame if our currency said in God we trust, but then as a people of God, we did not. So let me take this back to that first question I asked. How much money would you need to have to be rich? How big would the lotto need to be for you to be rich? How, how big would that lotto need to be? How much money are you need to have to be rich? In a recent survey, people who made $35,000 a year were asked how much money they would need to earn each year to feel rich. People making $35,000 a year said, if I made seventy-five dollars to 100000 bucks a year, I'd feel rich. But well, they also asked people who were making $75,000 a year how much they would need. And people making $75,000 a year said, to feel rich, I'm going to need to earn about $150,000 to $200,000 to feel rich. Then they asked people who were making $150,000 how much they would need to earn to be rich. Anybody want to <laughs> offer a guess on that? About three hundred dollars to $350,000. About two to three times as much as they were currently earning would get them to the place where they would feel rich. The funny thing is, this survey kept going and there was no limit to it. A few years back, Money Magazine took a poll of their readers. And to be fair, the people who subscribe to Money Magazine are a different segment of the population. But Money Magazine subscribers were asked how much they would need to make to feel rich, to be rich. And the consensus was $5 million. Now, that's not $5 million total, this is $5 million. In liquid assets, not including house and boats and cars and stuff and land and all those things. This is $5 million in easily accessible, readily available cash accounts. So don't you feel bad for those poor people who only have $4 million readily available to them at any time? Warren Buffett, one of the richest people in world history, currently worth about $85 billion. That's billion with a B. One guy worth $85 billion. He was asked, how much is enough? Buffett's famous response, one more dollar. Always, always one dollar more. $85 billion? No, no, no. $85 billion and, one. and then two and three. Now that kind of rich seems so far out of reach for most of us. But that attitude is right on par for most of us. Just a little bit more. Just one more dollar. Just just one more. Just one more. Just a little bit more. But what if? Well, what if you were to suddenly realize that you are already rich? I don't mean like you wake up tomorrow and there's $5 million Easily accessible, readily available in your account. If that happens, give me a call. I got some suggestions for what you can do with it. We got a lot of ministry things we would like to accomplish. That will help tremendously. But that's not what I'm talking about. I mean, what if you were to realize that right now you are rich? Because a lot of us, we we think of rich as having as much money to do whatever we want. But what if, what if our great need is not a change in income? What if it's a change in perspective? What if it's a change in perspective that we need to be rich? If you make $35,000 a year, let's go back to those first people surveyed, right? $35,000 a year. You're making 35 grand a year. You are in the top 3.5% of the world's wealthiest people. Let that sink in for a moment. $35,000 a year. You're in the top 3.5% of the world's wealthiest people. That means you're richer than ninety six point five percent of the people in the world. Say it another way, that means you are richer than seven and a half billion people. You make thirty five thousand dollars a year. You make roughly eighteen dollars an hour. Somebody doing similar work in Ghana over in Africa, they would make one dollar an hour for the same kind of for the same kind of work. Go down to Haiti, that same worker is going to make ten cents an hour. To help us understand what this means, that means if you're making $35,000 a year, in one month, you have made more than the person in Ghana makes in a year. In one week, you've nearly doubled the yearly salary of the person in Haiti. And that's $35,000 a year. So maybe, maybe for us to make some change, maybe the first change in perspective we need to see is that we are actually richer than we realize. We are richer than we realize. Now, I know that some of you, this this can sting, because for some of you, 2020 has been a terrible year. Reduction in workforce, reduction in hours, job loss, unemployment, COVID complications. I know that for some of you, this seems like a smack in the face. So I want you to stick with me and hear me out on this. And for those of you who are in hard times, listen, you get kind of a pass on this part. Because we feel for you. There's a reason we packaged 225 Thanksgiving dinners the other day and take that to people in our community who are in hard times. Because as COVID has slowed down so much in this economy and so much in this nation, it has only served to amp up our desire to keep ministry moving forward. And it has only upped our momentum in ministry and our message of helping everyone we can find and follow Jesus. And as we head into 2021, we're not slowing down at all. We're gonna keep plugging forward. We're gonna keep moving forward, full steam ahead with as much compassion as we can because people need it. And that's why we're here. So we feel for you. If you're on hard times, reach out to us. Let us know. Call the office. Call me. We wanna help you out. And if you're feeling upside down in your finances, we wanna help you get right side up with that. That's why on the the front page of of our homepage on our website, We've got some resources available. And these are not like quick fix, do it and you're done and and one day everything's gonna be grand. It's not that kind of thing, but it is a, a number of different resources that if you are stuck in one of those ways, it will help you get right side up. And we're willing to work with you and counsel you and help you out on that. And we believe pretty strongly in this stuff, helping people get right side up in their finances because that's one of the ways that Satan can just beat us down. And so in 2021, we're going to be launching Financial Peace University. My wife and I took FPU several years ago, and we were doing pretty good with our finances going into that. We were doing way better with our finances when we came out of it. We were not in a bad place, but we got to a really good place because of the instruction from Dave Ramsey's teaching. And we want to offer that to the entire church. So in 2021, we're going to be offering that. And I encourage you, if you've never done Financial Peace University, even if you're good with your money, Go through it. And if you're not having such a good time, if you're feeling a little bit upside down in your finances, it is worth the investment of time and energy and resource to take that course, and we want to help you out with that. We want to help people out. So again, this series is way more about what God wants for you than what God wants from you. So I want to offer us a little perspective from the Apostle Paul. Paul was imprisoned in Rome— for his faith And he wrote a letter to one of his favorite churches The believers at the town of Philippi um, The Philippians Letter to the Philippians We find it in the New Testament And Paul is in prison Maybe going to face death Within a few days of writing this letter Because of his faith And Paul says this He says How I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again I know you've always been concerned for me But you didn't always have the opportunity to help me but not that I was ever really in need, for I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. Say content. All right, let's say that again. Say content. Content. Says I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. Now keep in mind, this is Paul living under house arrest, knowing that he might die, saying, I've never really been in need. Says I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. It says, I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or empty, with plenty of stuff or very little. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Now, some of you, you recognize that verse, I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. You've just seen it in different contexts. This is the context it's in. I can do everything because my contentment is in Christ. My strength is in Jesus. Continuing on. It says, even so, you have done well to share with me in my present difficulty. At the moment, I have all I need. And even more, I am generously supplied with the gifts you sent me with our friend Epaphroditus. It says, those gifts are sweet smelling sacrifice that is acceptable and pleasing, not just to me, but to God. Because you gave it so the ministry would move forward. And this same God who takes care of me will supply how much? All. Supply all your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. God's going to supply all your needs through Jesus. Now, Paul doesn't say he's going to fly all your wants, but he's going to take care of everything you need. And I love this because Paul gives us this secret of contentment. He says, listen, I know what it is to have a whole lot or have very little, and I've learned how to be content. Another word for content is satisfied. I've learned how to be satisfied in any situation, every situation, because my satisfaction does not come from my stuff or my situation. My satisfaction comes from my Savior. Some of y'all, that, that's a good word for you today. You need to hear that again. Satisfaction does not come from my stuff or my situation. It comes from my Savior. And notice Paul doesn't say that it's bad to have stuff. He says, I know what it is to have a whole lot of stuff. I have a full stomach and I have all the things, whether I've got everything. But he says it's just as easy for him to be satisfied with very little. Still having a little rumble in the tumbler, right? still needing a few more things, and totally satisfied in a Savior. So perhaps taking our cue from Paul, we can redefine rich. We can find a different perspective on what rich is. Maybe rich does not mean having as much as I want, but simply having more than I need. Maybe the richness in life is not to have all that I'd want, because that might not even be good for us anyway. But rich is to have more than I need. And in Jesus, we have more than we need, way more, and way more than we deserve. So change in perspective one is that I'm richer than I realize. I'm richer than I realize because I have more than I need. Now, most of us, we kind of balk at that. We, we don't like that because we don't feel very rich. And we don't feel very rich because we're surrounded by people who are richer than us. All we got to do is take a drive through a different neighborhood and we're like, oh, my house, that ain't rich. That house is rich. That Man, those people... Look, they got like a 20-car garage. That's rich, you know? We, we drive past certain places. We say, that's rich. We pull up at the at the traffic light, and we're thinking, man, I, I kind of like my car. This is nice. And we look at the person next to us, and are like, but that's rich. <laughs> They're driving that thing. We're surrounded by rich all over the place. We turn on the TV, rich. We, we, we look at the ads, rich. And, and so we have this whole thing where we are consumed with this thirst for more because we're constantly bombarded with this consumption mindset that we got to get more and have more and buy more because we need more and we got to have more and more and more and more and more, so we got to try and go after more and more and more. And that's like we're just trained for that. And so many of us we don't feel rich because we're trained to feel like we deserve more. Well, I've worked hard, I've earned it, I've sweat, I sacrificed, I studied, I deserve more. More should be coming my way. But maybe that's where we need another change in perspective. If the first change in perspective is that I'm richer than I realize because rich means having more than I need, the change in perspective, too, is to remember that God has made me rich. That it's not just me. That I have what I have because God has allowed me to have it. We, we go back to Philippians 4.19. The same God who takes care of me will supply how much? All your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Jesus Christ. God's going to supply all that we need from his riches in Jesus. God is the giver of every good and perfect gift. God is the one who has allowed me to have what I have. So that means, that means I can work for it. I can earn it. My name can be on the title and on the deed. But if I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, at the end of the day, I got to remember, I manage, he owns. I have what I have because God has allowed me to have it. Now, some of you, you have worked really hard in your life and you've prospered and you've done well for yourself. And I applaud that. But none of us, not one of us should think for one moment to be so arrogant as to think that we have all that we have because of all that we have done and only what we have done. None of us chose to be born in the time in history when we were born. None of us chose to be born in the place that we were born, into a system that allowed our hard work to allow us to prosper. None of us chose the intelligence level we have, the ability level we have, the skills we have with our hands or our minds. None of us chose that. God allowed that, provided that. And if it was simply, if we've only attained what we've attained because of our hard work, well, that falls apart pretty quickly when we look at that person making an, a dollar an hour over in Ghana or 10 cents an hour down in Haiti. Because let me tell you, some of those people are working really so we need to amp up our humility quotient and remember that we have what we have because God has allowed us to have it. God is the one who has made us rich. And rich simply means we've got more than we need. So we're richer than we often realize. Now, the crazy thing about this is that God still allows us to have and God gives us so that we can be blessed. But many of us, we confuse the blessing. We confuse the blessing and with the stuff that, that God gives us stuff and we think that's the blessing. That's not like the problem with that is that we, we get caught up in the suck we're like, Oh, this beautiful house that God gave me. You're like, I'm so blessed to have that. Oh, this car that God told me when we have this new sports car. Like, the blessing of that or those can be a blessing, but here's the blessing that comes from that. The way God wants it to be a blessing is when we leverage it for his glory, for his kingdom, and we use it to bless others. If we're just stuck in this cycle of consumption and, and this cycle of burden, then, then we're going to miss out on the blessing. Because God supplies, okay? But then we get caught up in this cycle of burden, which means we consume. We've been conditioned to consume, to get more and more and more and more and more. But when, when we consume, we feel that we like because there's always more to have. Somebody else always has more than us. And then we fear what's going to happen if we don't have enough or if something happens to the stuff we have. i got to maintain it. i got to keep it. What's going to happen if the stock market goes down and my... Accounts go down. What's going to happen? Ah, I don't have enough. And we just caught up, so i got to consume more to get rid of the fear and to have more and to make up for what I don't have. And it's exhausting. And it doesn't work. Because all those things that we get, those never really satisfy us anyway. We're never truly satisfied just by consuming. And the stuff that we get, that's not where the blessing is. That's where the curse is. We're just stuck there. But when we leverage the things we get, then we end up in the cycle of blessing. When we begin giving and loaning and sharing, we find that God multiplies what we have. And we're gonna talk more about that in the weeks to come. And then our faith grows. We see what God does and our faith grows. And we say, well, I can give. And also we're in this cycle where we move from consumption to contribution, from getting to giving, from burden to blessing, from I gotta have to I gotta give. And we find that it truly is more blessed to give than to receive. Now I'm going to be honest with you. I'm a really good getter. <laughs> I like to receive. Anybody with me? Like, I don't know many people who say no, no, no. I don't like it when people give me good things. When people give me that that nice meal. When people loan me their lake house. When people do this you' Like nobody's like, oh, I hate it when that happens. Like we are pretty good at getting, But I'm like good at receiving. Okay. So I'm telling you this. This is like me opening up the inside of my soul and letting you know this. Challenges me as much as it does you. But this is what I've learned. That as nice as that is, but I love being on the other side. The stories I love to tell are not always when I receive. It's way more when I'm on the other side and I get to give. Man, those are the stories that choke me up and tear me up. Those are the stories that change my life. Because I see God do this. I see him grow my faith and multiply what I give in ways that I could never imagine. That's where the blessing is. Not just in what we get, but when we turn around and we become givers. So the shift is from burden to blessing. The shift is how much more can I get to how much more can I give? And and this means that to do that, we've got to loosen our grip on some of the things of this world. Because there's a lot that we're trying to cling to here and we got to let go of that because with clenched fists, we were unable to receive what God might have for us. And so we got to open up our hands. We've got to let go of some things here so we can cling more tightly to the things of eternity, the things that matter most. And as crazy as it sounds, this is where the blessing is. This is what God wants for you. It's not from you, it's for you. Because when we do that, we are freed up from being hounded by the moor monster. When we do that, God wants you to be freed up from feeling like you're over your head and living in debt and being chased by the bills and being a slave to the grind and feeling like you're never going to get ahead, never going to get out of it. God wants you to be freed up from that. He wants you to know the blessing of generosity and simplicity and letting go and receiving blessing from him. Now, most people I know, they want that. They want to be generous givers. And I know a lot of people who are generous givers and we have a pretty generous church. And I don't know a person who's going to raise their hand in here if I say, who wants to give more? Hey, Everybody's going to raise their hand. If I say, who? who doesn't want to give more? Who just wants to keep what they have for themselves? Nobody's going to raise their hand. Because all of us, we want to be givers. We're just not sure how. We're not sure if we have enough. For many people, the challenge to give is that we think we don't have enough and we're afraid that if we give and we give too much, then we're not going to have. Here's the deal. Most of the stuff that we're afraid for most of us, most of us, not for all of us, but for most of us, Our financial challenges are not survival. It is not food on the table and shelter over our head. For most of us, our financial challenges are, am I gonna live at the standard of life that I wanna live at? Am I gonna be able to drive the car I want and have the cable TV still and do the things I wanna do? That, for most of us, is our our financial challenge. It's not, are we gonna die if we don't have this money? Listen, if you've got a car and you've got a little house to park that car in called a garage... And if you've got some machines in your house that'll help cook your food, clean your dishes, wash your clothes, dry your clothes, if you've got a cell phone, you've got internet, you've got a TV, if you've got more than a couple change of clothes, you're actually doing pretty good. You might be richer than you realize. Now, I love the testimony that Paul gives. It's one of my favorite stories in scripture. Paul's writing to the believers in the city of Corinth. So he's writing to the, the Corinthians. And he's going to challenge the Corinthians with these people called the Macedonians, the, the people who live in Macedonia, these other believers. And Paul says, now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, so the Corinthians matter to him, they're, they're dear to him. He says, dear brothers and sisters, I want you to know what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia, this other collection of churches. They are being tested by many troubles, and they are very poor. That doesn't say it strongly enough. The original language says they are in extreme poverty, destitute poverty. They got nothing. And Paul goes on. He says, but they're also filled with abundant joy. All right, so they got nothing. Destitute extreme poverty filled with joy. Like they can't have more joy than they have. And their joy is overflowing in rich generosity. Do the math. It's crazy math here, right? Totally poor, couldn't be poor, tons of joy. Their joy overflows in generosity somehow. And Paul says, I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. These are not people giving out of their abundance. These are not the money magazine. If I only had another million dollars, then I'd be rich people. This is not Warren Buffett, $1 more. This is the person living in a tent saying, how much more can I give? And they did it of their own free will. They were excited to give. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing. These are the people who had nothing. And they, they begged to be in on the blessing to the believers in Jerusalem. They even did more than we had hoped. For their first action was to give themselves to the Lord And to us, just as God wanted them to do. Let's pause on that, because here's the deal. Listen, you could write a check for five million bucks you put in our offering. We'll be happy you did. We can do a lot. That's gonna supply a lot of ministry, okay? If you got that, yes, we will take it, and we can use it. But if you've not done this, if you've not given yourself to the Lord, listen, God will use that money, but you're still hurting. Because this is what God wants. If you're going to give anything, you, you give yourself to him. You give your heart, your life to him. The rest follows. When you give your life to God, when you fully surrender all of it, the rest follows. Everything we have, it becomes a lot easier to give those things up because we've already surrendered ourselves. But if all we do is surrender some money, listen, that didn't get you into heaven. You can't buy your way in. You can't borrow your way in from somebody else who's got faith. You can't earn your way in. It's not going to happen. You give yourself to the Lord. And if you've not done that, that is your takeaway today. Several years ago, I built a shed in my backyard. This is when we were still living up in Illinois. And I built the shed in my backyard. It's a pretty nice shed. It's a pretty decent size. It's about the size of the homes in the, the shanty homes in the slums of Nairobi, Kenya. And I've been there and I've seen some of those homes, but I built my shed mostly out of, actually exclusively out of salvaged materials, stuff that other people were getting rid of. Lumber they didn't want or need, plywood they didn't want or need, uh, roof materials, siding that came off somebody's house, it was still really nice, they were just changing up their color. So I built this shed, a really nice shed, cost me nothing, it's pretty nice. And in the shed, you know, I stored my lawnmower and, you know, outdoor games and, you know, our patio stuff in the wintertime and my grill would go in there in the winter. And, and it was a nice shed. It had a door that locked. And it was nicer than the, the those shanty homes over in the slums of Nairobi. Because in Nairobi, like, man, like my house, my, my little my house, my shed, it had a door that locked. It had a ramp up to it. It had a raised floor so I didn't have to worry about, you know, problems with, with moisture underneath. There was no river of sewage that ran in front of that like there is in some of the. At that same time, my family and I—we were supporting this little girl named Christine through Missions of Hope International over in Nairobi. Pay no attention to this goofy-looking dude, but look at that sweet little man. She's a sweet, sweet little girl. And and little Christine, we supported her. It didn't take a whole lot, but we supported it. It provided clothes and some food and an education. And, And at Easter time that year, Christine writes us this letter. She says, "What will you do for Easter?" Says for me, we will go to church and we'll praise the Lord, and then we'll go serve the less fortunate. Not been to Christine's home. I've been there in the slum, and I'd seen this home: dirt floor, no real beds, two rooms because there was a wire with a sheet, no door that locked, no windows. A metal roof. There's a little porch where they they would hang their clothes to dry after they would wash them in the dirty water. No air conditioning, no electricity, no running water. You had to walk down the street, if you can call it a street, to the bathhouse where you might be able to take a shower and might be able to get some water if the gang wasn't there, because the gang would make you pay. An old coffee can with charcoal in it as their heater. I was standing in the kitchen when I got that letter. And I'm glad I was. I was a flood. It broke me. This sweet little girl who lived on nothing. Immediately, I'm reminded of the Macedonian believers, lives on nothing. After we praise the Lord at church, we're going to go serve the less fortunate. Don't you get it? Christine, don't you get it? You are the less fortunate. You are the less My lawnmower has a nicer house than you. And you're going to go serve the less fortunate? Don't you get it? church, she gets it. She gets it perfectly well. It was me who didn't get it. It was me who needed to change her perspective. So this little girl, about eight years old, on the other side of the world, helped me realize that maybe, maybe rich isn't having what I need or having what I want. It's just having more than I need. And maybe I'm richer than I realize. And if God's the one who's made me rich... And God expects something from me in my richness. And so, if I'm richer and I realize that if God's the one who's made me rich, then the question for me is no longer, am I rich? The question becomes, what kind of rich person am I going to be? Am I going to be a person who's stuck in the cycle of burden trying to get more? How much more can I get? Or am I going to live in blessing? How much more can I give? Am I going to be burdened or am I going to be blessed? Getting or giving? Consuming or contributing? Which Rich, am I going to be? And that's a question God has for all of us. And this is not to guilt you or to shame you. We don't have to go to the other side of the world for that. We just got to take a drive through our own city and we'll see that. And it's not to guilt us or to shame us. It's simply to open us up to the possibility the blessing God has for all of us. And to live in that, to live into the contentment that is the blessing God desires for us, it means we've got to let go of some things. So listen, when you pick up that budget sheet on your way out or you open it up on your phone or in your email tomorrow and you see those prayers, I want you to pray for those things. But I want you to add another prayer every day from now until next week. I want you to add another prayer. God, help me to realize how rich I am in you and show me what to let go of. God, help me to realize how rich I am in you and show me what you want me to let go of. And as you pray that prayer, I want you to be ready. You have something to write on because God's going to show you things that you got to let go of. I've done this. He's shown me. It's sometimes hard. And you do i have started start to let go of it yet, but we'll kind of talk through that in the next few weeks of the series. But you pray that prayer. God, help me realize how rich I am in you and you show me what I need to let go of. And then you start making note. You start keeping a list of the things God's going to tell you to start giving up. And let me tell you, anything you give up is simply going to end up with way more blessing. Let's pray. God, we confess that because we live where we do and the kind of culture we live in, that we are so often con- consumed with more. And we've bought into that cycle where we just got to get more and earn more and think we deserve more. And, and God, we forget how much we already have in you. Salvation from you that can't be bought, earned, or borrowed. We have way more than we deserve, we have way more than we need. And it's all from you. And so God, I ask you to break our hearts right now and to break the idols of our hearts, the things that we cling to that we need to let go of. Show us what we need to let go of in this world so we can cling more tightly to your hand and the things of eternity. Show us how richly blessed we are in you. Help us to realize that and understand that. And God, if there are any today watching online or here in this room who have not surrendered their hearts to you, we pray that that's where they begin that today, that right now, the Holy Spirit, you would press upon them their need for you, to surrender to you, and to receive the blessing of salvation that comes from you and you alone, Jesus. So we pray for that above any of this other. Because we're convinced that once you have that, you've got all of us. And so God, for all of us, if there are areas of our life that we've been holding back from you, may we surrender that to you. Would you break us of those things so that we are totally freed and surrendered to you to live in the blessing that you have for us. And we pray this in the name of Jesus, who's given us so, so much.